Good evening, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, Before I go any further, to my sister Carolyn, if you're listening to this podcast, happy birthday. We love you. Um, Hope you have a great day. Um, It's really, yeah, I just want to echo what Brian said. It's really good to be here. We've, uh, we just spent two weeks um, about in North Carolina with our families. Um, We drove across the country with two toddlers and uh, won't be doing that again. So uh, it's really nice to be here and be with you all tonight um, and to close out this. I said, y'all, did you hear that? The the North Carolina is wearing off on me. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's really good to be here um, and to close out this Advent series and to kind of kick off a new year. Um, And so we'll get started. So um, yeah, start with a little history. So in, in 1719, there's this guy named um, Isaac Watts, who is also known as the father of English hymnody, um, whatever that means. And um, he read this psalm, Psalm 98, the one that we're looking at tonight, and um, in response wrote these words. He wrote, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And so you all know that as the song, Joy to the World. Um, and so that was born out of the psalm that we're looking at tonight, almost 300 years ago, um, which is crazy to think about. Um, and virtually everyone knows that song, and probably many of us could probably even recite the lyrics without... Um, looking at them, and according to hymnary.org, whatever that is, um, it's the most published Christmas hymn in history. So, there you go. Um, But here's a fun fact, is that it's not actually a Christmas song. So I hadn't um, actually realized this before, but if you look at the lyrics, there's no mention of a Virgin Mary, or shepherds, or a manger, or a bright shining star, um, or anything else that really is specific to the Christmas story. The song, just like uh, the psalm that we're looking at tonight, is about the Messiah's triumphant second coming, and not necessarily his first. And um, obviously a lot of the themes and the truths found within that song still apply to Jesus' birth. The same goes with Psalm 98. But it's, I mean, I just thought it was kind of funny. So a song that's appeared on, you know, countless Christmas albums that's probably been covered by hundreds, maybe thousands of different artists. Um, A a phrase, joy to the world, that we just associate with Christmas that has found its way in merchandise and marketing campaigns all over the world, and it was never even intended to be about Christmas. But obviously now it is, because someone somewhere said that it should be, um, to the point that, like, if we were to sing it at another time of the year, like, in March, um, if PT busted it out then, or in, in July, it would feel kind of weird. It would be, like, out of place. It would feel odd. Um, and so I think about that. And then with Christmas, almost a couple weeks behind us now, now's the time when we kind of start packing up all the things that we do associate with the holiday. There are some things that we're going to pack away that most of us won't be sad to see go. Things like adults wearing Santa hats in public. Um, Sorry if you're one of those people. Uh, The Little Drummer Boy, the whole movie, the song, I find it very annoying. Um, And then, uh, yeah, 24-hour marathons of that stupid Christmas story movie. Like, those things, it's like, it's totally fine. Like, I'm completely okay with those going away for another year. Um, but then there are, there are other things that we kind of lump in to Christmas and the Christmas spirit and we put away that would actually be kind of good things for us to keep around all year round. Things like 
giving gifts to people we love or taking the time to write cards to show people how much we care about them, being generous with our money, giving to those little orange, or the, sorry, the red buckets, the <laughs> Santas that ring the bells and all that kind of stuff. We, finding excuses to gather people together, to celebrate, to open our home and bring people in and, and even being mindful about telling our kids and the people around us about the real reason why we celebrate. Those are really good things that we just do around Christmas typically, um, but they kind of disappear for the rest of the year. And so the danger of marking something as like Christmassy um, is that we then have the tendency to pack those things up, to throw them in the attic, and then on 11 months or so, we'll pull them back out again. And, and when much of what we do, much, much of what we attribute to kind of the Christmas spirit should be evident in our lives all year round. As we look at Psalm 98, it kind of paints us a, this prophetic picture of what life will be like someday in the kingdom of God. It's a picture that came closer to reality with the first Christmas in Bethlehem. Um, through the grace of Christ and the power of the gospel, we have the opportunity to experience what's to come and to be a part of bringing bits and pieces of God's kingdom to fruition in the here and now. And what we see is that what God does in and through the birth of Jesus is reason to celebrate throughout the year and that it should change us as a people and as a church. And as we look at Psalm 98, we're going to look specifically at how Christmas and the gospel change how we view the world and the people in it and how the gospel and Jesus' birth brings us together. So if you have your Bibles out, um, we'll take a look at this, the text in Psalm 98. Um, nice thing about this psalm is it breaks itself down into three uh, distinct sections. And so we'll just take it uh, section by section. And um, since I'm so clever, each section will be named after a line from Joy to the World. So uh, section one is the Lord is come. So read with me um, Psalm 98 verse 1. It says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. So I want to pause there, because one of the questions I had as I studied this and I read this psalm is, what is the deal with uh, singing? So the psalm mentions singing a lot throughout it. Um, the psalms as a whole mention singing, and the Bible as a whole mentions singing as a response for God's people to give um, to God's mercy and goodness. And so I think then our natural response should be, why? What is it about singing that's so important? And so um, I thought a little bit about it, tried to do some research, and kind of came up with a little formula that I'm <laughs> going to share with you that is by no means comprehensive, but I think it, it gives us a good start. Um, so it's this, singing equals truth plus feeling, plus togetherness. Um, and so let's break that down a little bit. So the first is that singing allows us to convey truth. Um, we can sing with words that actually mean something, that, that declare and remind ourselves about who God is and about what he's done. At the same time, singing allows us to feel. We're meant to have an emotional response to God, that he is our father, that we are his children, and that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf because of his great love for us. There's more to that than just words 
and facts. There's emotion and music helps move us. It stirs our hearts to connect with God on an emotional level. And the third thing is that singing does is it allows us to speak truth, allows us to, be, to respond emotionally, and it allows us to do that all together as the body of Christ. And singing allows us to share in the experience of worshiping alongside one another. And since life is not meant to be lived alone, it's a really powerful tool to bring the body of Christ, the church, together. And as I kind of thought through all of this and kind of shared some of these thoughts with my wife, Melissa, um, we realized that singing has been really powerful in our lives, um, even over these past few months. Um, So some of you know this, some of you don't, but I guess over the last uh, four months, um, we've miscarried twice. And um, it's been it's it's been a hard fall, um, and as we've kind of processed that and worked through it and grieved and mourned and asked God why and done all of these things, one of the things that Melissa and I both have talked about and have shared with one another as we've as we've worked through this is that being here, even when those times when we feel sad or hurt. And it's much easier to just kind of stay at home. When we kind of forced ourselves to come to church and be a part of what goes on here, the, the ability to, to worship and sing alongside you guys um, has meant a tremendous deal to us. And, and God's used that in kind of our healing uh, process. And, uh, yeah, I think specifically, the, you know, over the past month or two, we've sung the Psalm 42 song, I Am Satisfied in You. And that was something that resonated with me is, Something I needed to remind myself of constantly and just repeat that song, repeat the chorus over and over again. That God has extended himself, that he wants me to be satisfied in him. And even when I wasn't necessarily, um, I could sing that truth and I could repeat it to myself and I could cling to that. And for Melissa, she, she shared with me that um, just the very fact of being here and singing at times she would just pause and listen to read the words and to hear the voices of the people around her singing, knowing that many of you guys have suffered similar hardships, some even worse. And um, I don't know, to know that we are a people that is together, that God has brought us here for a reason, that he's united us in Christ. Um, Just the very act of worshiping and singing has been really powerful for us and and i don't yeah so singing is a gift uh worshiping is a gift and it's so easy to just kind of come to church and kind of go through the motions and it's like oh we always sing at church so we might as well do it um but it's a it's a gift from god um it's a blessing to be able to do it alongside you all um and i i I don't know i just wanted to say that and encourage you guys and we see here in this psalm that, that we are instructed to sing a new song because by god's power he has given us new life God is making all things new, and that's reason to sing and to celebrate. Um, Let's keep going. So in verse 2 in Psalm 98, uh, you can read along with me. It says, The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So while this is true of the overall arc of God's covenant with his people, it becomes especially powerful in light of 
the Christmas story. So Christmas is about how God kept his promise, about how God remained faithful to his people, the Israelites, throughout the Old Testament, often in spite of their lack of faith back. Thousands of years passed between God's original promise of salvation to Abraham and the birth of Christ. But in God's sovereignty and in his faithfulness to his people, he used Israel to bring forth the Messiah at the right time, at the right place, so that the whole world could be saved. And at the end of verse 3 here, it says, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And this is just a, a really big deal. Um, because at the time that this psalm was written, everything had been about God's chosen people, the Israelites. But we see here that God's definition of his people was much larger than um, just the Israelites. So I want to take a, time, a little time here and look more closely at the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth in uh, the first couple chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And we, we'll get to see little hints that God had a grander plan for the Messiah to bring hope not just for the nation of Israel, but for people of every nation. So Matthew starts out with a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. So you've got this genealogy of kind of Jesus' ancestry. Um, and included by the author Matthew are four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And uh, the interesting thing about this is, Matthew's inclusion of these women was very intentional. And we know this because, one, they were women. So during this time when these genealogies were written, um, women were typically not included in those. Secondly, much of their stories are marked by really sinful circumstances. You've got kind of uh, tales of incest and prostitution, adultery and murder. They're kind of, kind of dark spots in the history of Israel But finally, beyond all that, these women weren't Israelites. They weren't supposed to be a part of God's chosen people. You've got a couple Canaanites in there, a Moabite, and a Hittite. And it, you know, in God's sovereignty, it seems very intentional because you see that God had been orchestrating the inclusion of these various nations in this line of the Messiah for thousands of years before Jesus was even born. If we Keep going. Um, In look at chapter 2, we learn about the wise men, the magi, who come from another country to the east. Probably somewhere in Asia, um, most likely Persia or the Arab world. And they weren't Israelites either. And yet, they stop what they're doing. They travel a long distance. They bring gifts and worship the newborn king. And then finally, after Herod initiates a mass killing of children in order to try to destroy Jesus, God instructs Joseph to take his family and flee to Egypt. And so Jesus and his parents are refugees in Africa where they find safety and are able to live until it's safe to return home. And I just think it's really interesting. In just a few chapters, we begin to see that just in the, the, the events and the tiny details surrounding Jesus' birth and early childhood, God was already at work among the nations, intentionally beginning to demonstrate that Jesus had, had come to bring hope and truth and light to the entire world. And while the first few chapters of Matthew set the stage for redemption being offered to the whole world, Jesus' life and his ministry only furthers that, and it's confirmed in the Great Commission. In the very last chapter of Matthew, Matthew 28, when the resurrected Jesus instructs his disciples to go and make disciples of every nation. And so you get a glimpse here 
that God's heart is for the salvation of all, all people, and ours should be as well. And uh, in that regard, I think 2016 is a really exciting and important year for the Summit Church. As we grow, we continue to pray about how we can be a part of God's global movement. And there's some really cool things that are happening from our church's first overseas mission trip to Guatemala in April to support a church plant there, to a partnership that's forming with a church over in London, to just hearing the stories of various people within our church who are considering what it might look like to follow God's call to move overseas and live on mission there. The gospel's going to the ends of the earth. We've been invited by Jesus to be a part of that. Um, and that's just a really exciting thing. And I think I would ask you the same thing. So, or I would ask you to think and pray about that. What does that mean for your life? What would it look like for you personally to begin to, to look outward, to have a heart for the world, to love the nations like Jesus loves the nations? All right. So salvation going to the ends of the earth, something to celebrate. And um, we'll look back at Psalm 98, and that's exactly what happens, a celebration. So our second section is repeat the sounding joy. So verse 4 in Psalm 98 says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in a joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. So salvation's been made known to the ends of the earth, and the result is this huge party, all the earth breaking forth in the song and worshiping the King. And uh, what an amazing thing to picture in our minds, not only the celebration um, that Jesus brings forth with his birth, um, but also the celebration that's yet to come when Jesus returns to reign over the earth in the end. And so again, we see that the proper response to God's mighty works is to sing for all the earth, to make joyful noise, to play the lyre, to blow the horns. I think the thing that, one of the things that especially sticks out to me is there in the fourth verse. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And you just get this picture of people of different races and different cultures, different circumstances, all coming together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I think the more you see these things in Scripture, the more you realize that diversity within the body of Christ isn't like just a nice idea, but it's rather a part of God's plan for what his kingdom really looks like. Um, admittedly, when I say the word diversity, I kind of feel a little bit like Michael Scott from The Office and the whole... <laughs> diversity day episode i feel kind of ill-equipped and un you know uninformed when it comes to being able to talk about diversity especially as a white middle class male i think i have a lot to learn um about what diversity really looks like um but kind of the way that i've been thinking about it in regards to what the psalmist shows us in psalm 98 and how that applies to the universal church is in terms of an orchestra. So bear with me here. Hopefully this all makes sense. So the gospel is the symphony. It's the piece of music we as a church play, immensely beautiful, deeply complex, with a multitude of layers and parts, each beautiful in their own way. And one of the amazing things about how Jesus has designed us 
to live in community, to design his church, to be, to do life together, um, is that each of us bring our perspectives, we bring our experiences, the places that we come from, the families that we were born out of, all of that provides in us a slightly different nuance or tone in the way that the gospel plays out in our lives. Now the truth, the gospel, the sheet music is the same. The, the way we play it, the instrument we bring to the orchestra is what differs. And the gospel is beautiful no matter what, but a more diverse church with a multitude of races and skin colors and languages and socioeconomic statuses, all united in Christ, bring, brings forth a richness and a fullness that impacts not only the people within that, that orchestra or the church, but in the city and the world in powerful ways. There seems to be this underlying assumption that um, as kind of time marches on, as society advances, as education becomes more accessible and technology more powerful, things like hatred and racism and prejudice will gradually fade away. And I think when you look back over the course of last year in 2015, it's kind of riddled with stories of racial and ethnic division caused by issues like police violence and gentrification, by war and genocide and refugees and how to deal with refugees and immigration and everything related. There's so much in the news about this stuff. And I think it just tells us we live in a broken world where sin drives us apart and no amount of advancement or technology is going to fix that. When we get glimpses into the kingdom of God, like we see in Psalm 98, we see a good and gracious king who unites all of his people as one. Through Jesus, we have been reconciled to God, and in Jesus, we can be reconciled to one another. And it's amazing that we can say, as Paul said in Galatians 3, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are unique. And we are different, and yet we are bonded together in Christ. And as a church, we not only want to say it to our city and to the world, we want to show it as well. And I think this represents a tremendous opportunity for us as a church, as a summit church. Creating diversity um, isn't easy. But I think if there's one thing that I've learned in the five years that we've existed as a church, it's that we aren't a people who rests where it's easy and where it's comfortable. We've always prayed for God to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I think we need to keep doing that. I also know this doesn't happen through the church starting um, some new marketing campaign or uh, changing the style of worship that we do or, or whatever. But rather it starts with us as the people who make up the church. It starts with us as missionaries to our city, intentionally loving our neighbors no matter what they look like or how they dress or the places that they hang out in. An amazing benefit of living in a big city like we do is that in many respects the nations come to us. I found out um, this week that in 2014, Denver Public Schools determined that there were 145 different languages spoken by the families of their students. 145. That is insane. And it represents 
this vast array of countries and cultures, and they're right here in our city. As we kick off this new year, let's challenge ourselves to look back, to look at our lives. Let's assess how we're spending our time and with whom. Where do we need to ask the Spirit to open our eyes to the people around us? Where do we need to be more present? Where do we need to be obedient and intentionally go to the places and people that we don't naturally gravitate to? When we look at Psalm 98 and the way that God has brought salvation to the ends of the earth and that in response all the earth worships together as one, I think we see that God cares deeply for this. And so it seems like um, we should too. Finally, let's hit the last section. We'll call this one, He Rules the World with Truth and Grace. And so in verse 7, we'll read to the end. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And so here, even beyond all people coming together, the end of Psalm 98 paints this vision of the entirety of creation, the the rocks, the trees, the water, coming together to worship King Jesus. And we see a glimpse into all of creation in perfect harmony, aligned in giving glory to its creator. It's a pretty amazing picture. Um, It makes me think of... Um, like a musical, but like in real life. You guys ever have that daydream where it's like, you're like sitting at work and it's really boring and you're like, I really wish there would be some like music that just starts playing, like the dancers stream in and it like, you know, there's birds like floating on your shoulders and the trees, I don't know. But um, yeah, that's the kingdom of God. It's pretty cool. Um, And so... um, but yeah, I, I, what we need to understand is that all of creation has been polluted and broken by sin. All of creation will be reconciled and redeemed in the end and that there's so much joy that the earth can't help but sing and dance in response. <clears throat> um, aside from the anthropomorphic, sorry, I had to use that word, actions of these natural features, rivers clapping, hills singing, um, one of the other striking things about the way this psalm ends is that you see that they're rejoicing in the Lord judging the earth. And when I, when I read that, it kind of hit me as kind of a weird thing. We, I, I don't know. We're just kind of conditioned like any kind of judgment feels wrong or bad. And yet that's um, the rejoicing in God judging is the truth of the gospel of Jesus being in our place, that if you're in Christ, then you're covered by his blood, that he's taken away our guilt and our shame and our sin, and he's replaced it with his perfect righteousness. And so, yeah, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And when the day comes, we'll be able to rejoice as God ultimately rights all wrongs and brings justice to a world in desperate need of it. And in this psalm, we see that all of creation is meant to submit to Jesus' lordship in the end, and that there is great joy in that. And I think this is true for the world, 
And it's also true for our individual lives. I guess when I think about, like, the natural world as it stands right now, obviously there's a lot of beauty in it. But I think you also see a lot of chaos, a lot of violence, a lot of kind of forces, whether uh, it's land, water, plants, animals, humans, insects, disease, all these pieces that make up the natural world kind of fighting, like competing and pushing and grinding against one another. You think about, um, I don't know, we hunt animals, lions like kill us, and then like, you know, a swarm of locusts devours crops, and then you've got earthquakes and floods, and it's just like, there is this chaos, but it's not what you see when you look at Psalm 98 and you see that all of these things are in perfect harmony and a beautiful reflection of creation the way that God intended it. And I think um, we look outward to that, but it's also within us as well, because each of us have these different pieces and parts that make up who we are, right? So there's, for me, there's work Brian, and there's dad Brian, and father or, uh, parent, or husband <laughs> Brian, and uh, church Brian, and neighborhood Brian. And there's all these things, all these identities and these parts that make up my, you know, the, the way that I spend my time and the things that I do. And I think without Jesus ordering those things, without the gospel being at the center to put all of those things in their correct place, they kind of jockey and they fight and they try to consume us and become our identity. Um, and I think that's, that's just indicative of the sin nature and what it does to the world and what it does to us internally. And I think every aspect of our lives, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, is in need of being transformed by the Spirit. He knows our struggles. He knows our weakness. He knows our pain. And just as He desires to bring all of His creation, the rocks, the trees, the animals, the oceans, into alignment, into perfect harmony, to bring restoration and wholeness to it all, He desires the same for every aspect of who we are, too. The gospel is meant to saturate every part of who we are. And so as we kind of think about this new year and the opportunities that lie before us and, you know, the men and women that we want to be or think we should be, I think I want, I want us to think about this. What are those areas of our lives that are out of alignment with God's desire for our life? Where do we need to submit to his lordship and allow him to make us into the men and women that he created us to be? Where are we asking God to take over so that it's about his kingdom and not ours? All right. I want to conclude with a story. Um, so I heard about this for the first time this year. It's called the Christmas Truce of 1914. I don't know. Maybe I missed this class in history, but um, I'd never heard of it before, but it's pretty amazing. So Christmas Eve, 1914, <clears throat> German and British soldiers are kind of entrenched uh, in the kind of countryside of France along the Western Front. This is during World War I, um, and it's about five months after the war has started. And so you can imagine the cold of December in France, World War I, um, and whatever you know, 
inadequate clothing and warmth that they probably had. Um, you can also imagine that five months in, these soldiers, kind of any shred of idealism or patriotism or whatever was kind of fading away as they saw numerous friends uh, die alongside them. They're stuck in these trenches and in uh, kind of the cold, wet mud um, in the middle of France, and they're kind of lobbing mortar shells at one another, just trying to survive and hold the line. Um, and so that's the context. And, and, and then the night before Christmas, though, in 1914, as the soldiers hunkered down for the night in their trenches um, to keep watch for the night, um, over the battlefield, you could hear singing. And the Germans had actually begun singing Silent Night. And it was loud enough for the British on the other side to to hear it. And, um, you know, after some confusion, the, the British soldiers responded, and they sang songs of their own. It continued over the course of the night um, until the morning, Christmas morning, um, when despite... Uh, Orders from their officers not to do this. Soldiers decided to lay down their arms, kind of slowly, tentatively emerge from the trenches and, and, and greet and meet one another in the middle of what they called no man's land. And that was the area between the trenches filled with mortar shells and barbed wire and no doubt dead bodies. But because of Christmas... The Germans and the British soldiers, they came together. They shook hands. I, it, from what I read, most of them couldn't understand one another. They didn't speak one another's language, but they exchanged gifts, things like cigars and, and alcohol. And then there were even reports of... <laughs> alcohol, for sure. Uh, there were even reports of um, soccer matches breaking out along the front in different places. And so you see this kind of beautiful picture of kind of Christmas existing in this kind of horrible, atrocious um, situation. That night, though, the soldiers went back, and um, I think a day or two later, fighting resumed. Um, And I share that uh, because I think it's a beautiful story, but I think it's also really tragic. (laughs) Um, Because the war would go on for, I think, four more years or so, Something like 25 million people died in World War I. Um, whatever the problem, whatever problem the war was trying to solve, honestly don't know. I, didn't, I don't understand what World War I was about. But I even read the Wikipedia page and it made no sense to me. Um, but, uh, I mean, obviously it didn't work. There was a second World War. So... Um, I don't know. Yeah, super sad. But then, and then also, apparently, that was the last truce like that, spontaneous kind of Christmas truce that has ever happened to anyone's knowledge. So, um, the, I guess the officers kind of cracked down, and the soldiers were never allowed to to kind of replicate that ever again. But I don't know. I share that because. Christmas spirit or sentiment or the things that we do around the holidays, it only goes so far. We're in need of something more. Our world needs something more. Something beyond a season or a time of the year. We're in need of a Savior to make us whole, to bring us together, to fix the brokenness, to heal the hurt for now and for eternity. So at Christmas, 
We commemorate Jesus' coming. We commemorate the gospel. And the truth is that we need that every day of the year, not just during this season. Pray with me. Father God, we uh, are just grateful to be here. Um, Grateful for just the opportunity to get glimpses into your kingdom and what it looks like to be a part of your family. God, we um, are grateful for Christmas and how we get to celebrate, Lord, but let us not forget what it means for our lives every day of the year. God, we thank you that you loved us to send your son. God, that we can celebrate and that we can do it together. God, that you've united us in Christ through your spirit. And um, God, just help us to celebrate, to worship in response to your goodness and your greatness and your mercy and your graciousness. And um, God, help us to be uninhibited, to just be joyful and to spread that joy with the people who desperately need it. God, we thank you for your truths, for your salvation that you've extended to us. The fact that we can stand in here 2,000 years after the events at Christmas, half a world away, God, is a testament to the power of your spirit and the movement of your kingdom. God, it's just exciting to be a part of that. God, I pray that in 2016, that would change us, would continually change us. God, that you would conform us to the image of Christ, that you would show us what it looks like to live as a citizen, as a citizen of your kingdom. God, help us to respond and worship and give you all the praise and the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.